Hello and welcome to What Do You Reckon? I'm Mike Advocate. And I'm Al Politico and this is the Budget Special. Very special edition. So it's been a very obviously uh, important day in the government today and in the country today as the Chancellor set out his budget for the next six months. Um, And in this episode we thought it would be absolutely right to discuss that in a in a Mike and Al kind of way on on what do you reckon? So we yeah. can see well what what well, Mike what, what Mike reckons about the the budget. I'm burning to know. Yeah, so we're going to do things a little bit differently in that I'm going to try and talk for some uninterrupted time, and and, and that way we can kind of flesh out what we're each thinking. I'm going to be trying really hard not to interrupt him. <laughs> That's well, it will be, that I think is going to be the big challenge. That is going to be an interesting experiment on the pod today. Absolutely. Um, I can't even stop now, Mikey, just <laughs> tell them what we're doing. Okay, so uh, the budget obviously came out today, um, and I've tried as best I can to sort of look at it and go off um, the figures that have been presented, and then also of um, other figures that I've done in, in my own research. Um, the way I've been thinking about the budget is, I think perhaps in a, a slightly broader context than I think it's really been reported. So the way I, I like to think about it is that the government spends roughly £800 billion pounds, um, every year. And that's what they, they're spending this year. And that's about £12,000 per person, which I think is for every year, which I think is an important way to think about uh, all the money that we're spending. And we raise about £740 billion pounds in taxes. Now, the borrowing for this year is supposed to be about £50 billion. Pounds. So that's apparently what's being reported as. And uh, the other important figure is that the net public debt is currently £1,700 billion, pounds, which is 85% of GDP. Now, what does that all mean? Uh, because there's a lot of numbers and it can all get a little bit confusing. But the way I like to think about it is that we're, we raised a lot of money and we spend even more money, and, and the difference is about 50 billion. And that's actually, for the context of right now, that's actually quite low, because we were projected to spend about 58 billion. And what does all that money mean in context? Well, for example, the military defense budget is about 40 billion. So we're currently borrowing more, you know, you could say we're borrowing all the money just to spend on the military, for example. But my basic position is that with a sort of 85% GDP debt ratio, we really want to see that come down as, you know, as quickly as possible. And this is something that the Chancellor mentioned today. You know, he pointed to the fact that you, know, you don't want to have future generations continuously paying off this debt. And he said it's going to peak this year and this is something that we should all be celebrating. And he really hopes when it comes down... Um, you know, that we'll get a handle on our debt and that's and that'll be good for us because otherwise we're really just spending this money on, on nothing really because you spend, you know, money on the interest and interest rates are incredibly low at 0.5%. Now, the, the, the Chancellor's plan is basically that as long as we sort of stay a little bit away from the economy, we don't do too much, our GDP will grow faster than the rate that we borrow. And so he sees GDP falling in the next sort of 10 years or so to perhaps maybe something like 70 GDP without us having to make too many cuts. Now, my position is that we should really be making quite serious cuts 
right now because if interest rates go up a couple percentage points, we're suddenly going to have to pay twice the amount that we already do just on interest, and it's and we just can't really afford to do that. And the question then becomes, where? So the way I've looked at this budget is basically an exercise in where could we cut fifty billion pounds if we had to to stop borrowing tomorrow, so that we can get a handle on our debt and we don't have to waste fifty billion pounds every every year just on interest payments. And also, you know, if we cut now, we won't have to make more serious cuts in a future where interest rates suddenly go up 5%. Because if interest rates are about 5 and we were paying something more in the range of 100 to 200 billion pounds in interest payments, we wouldn't be talking about making a few cuts. We'd be talking about shutting down whole departments of the government and really changing the nature of government in a very serious way. And I don't think anyone wants that. So where am I going to make my cavalier cuts that are going to make me very popular with any listeners? Well, we have £13 billion which we spend in the Department for International Development. Now that's basically just foreign aid and I personally don't think that that's a role of government and I think that's better handed to the people. Other areas we can make cuts, for me personally this is a little bit more of uh, my political leanings but we currently spend about £15 billion on green energy. I would certainly like to see that cut significantly. And then the rest of the cuts would really have to come from what are the three biggest departments, and that's pensions, which is about £160 billion every year, medical services, about like 140 and welfare, which is about £60 billion. Cutting a proportion of each of those, but not the whole thing, or, a, or what I would argue is not a significant portion of the, the core amount of services that are done, um, so we don't have to cut them in the future. Uh, I could see a cut of about five to seven billion coming in, perhaps social exclusion and social protection. Uh, and I would hope that charity would come into to play there and religious organizations and community organizations. In terms of pensions, there's no real there's no way around it really. This is the way we spend most of our money. And so I think an increased retirement age and a reduced amount in pensions, which would mean getting rid of the triple lock, would be the only way to really challenge that in a serious way. Or perhaps we can move over to a more private system, like the one in Chile, for example, which of course doesn't spend anything like this much portion on its uh, of its national spending on pensions. And obviously, medical services don't want to go anywhere near that if I could if I could help it, because of course that is always political suicide. Famously said, the NHS is the closest thing the British people have to a religion. However, if there are efficiencies, they would be good to find. And as I say, these cuts would never go anywhere above about 14 billion to pensions or medical services. Or you could maybe take a bit more from pensions or a bit more medical services, depending on a way you can do it, where you don't have to take away from the core. So that's basically my position on the budget. Okay, uh, interesting position about the budget. I don't know, I, it didn't really sound like you actually spoke about some of the main issues that came up in this budget, at least the things that I wanted to talk about, but I guess that's why we're both on the show. So um, I wanted to talk about the budget in the context of whether or not this budget is really doing enough or whether or not it, it, um, it has any appeal to younger voters who in the future will need to vote Conservative in order for the Conservative Party to survive in Parliament in the future. Because I think at the moment, um, 
at the rate the Conservative Party is going in 20 years' time, I don't know how many people will actually vote for them. I think we'll see the number of Conservatives, the number of Conservative voters really drop just from some of the conversations I've been having with uh, younger people in the past weeks and months. So I sort of wanted to look at the budget very much from the eyes of, 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 of what this budget is giving or what about this budget appeals could or could appeal to young potentially conservative voters in the future and whether or not it really addresses any of the needs that we that both Mike and I have and that maybe our listeners will have and some of the points of contention that I've had with uh, people whilst explaining my political views for them. So I thought I would just go through the budget and some of the key points of the budget uh, in that way. So I guess the big the big elephant in the room in uh, the budget and indeed in government since the 70s has been housing. Um, it has been how are we going to build enough houses for people in this country and in recent years that has culminated in a housing crisis where a lot of people our age can't afford to buy a home. So the Conservatives offering in this budget is that stamp duty is going to be abolished immediately for first time buyers purchasing properties worth up to £300,000. Um, so 80% of first time buyers will not pay any stamp duty at all, uh, which is for first-time buyers who have the capital to buy a home, who have the capital to put down a deposit, this is amazing because it means that you don't have to pay stamp duty. But some um, commentators are saying that the real people that will benefit from this are homeowners, as it will see house prices go up even more. So it's sort of um, interesting, and we'll, we can talk about that afterwards. Uh, there is a long-term goal to build 300,000 300, homes a year by the mid-2020s, again, addressing the, um, the housing crisis in this country. Um, another... another um, another part of the budget which could appeal to younger voters, the tax-free personal allowance is rising to £11,850 in April 2018, and short-haul air passenger duty rates and long-haul economy rates are to be frozen. So that means air passenger duty is actually a tax which I am heavily against. In fact, we're one of the only countries in Europe which still, which actually um, imposes this air passenger duty. I don't know if you ever check your, your taxes when you are buying flight tickets. The fare is often quite low. If you look on EasyJet, it might be something like £10. It's the taxes that can sometimes make up the majority of what you're paying. And there is this one tax, air passenger duty, which is not really paid in any other country apart from Europe. I can't remember exactly what the percentage of it is of a ticket, but that is going to be frozen, which is great for younger people wanting to go on holiday. But of course, it might be more difficult now because of Brexit. I think the big issue with this budget, which I think we need to touch upon, and I think gives some context to what Mikey has just said a little bit with regards to cuts, because I think we, we do need to speak about more about that, but it's the fact that our growth forecast for 2017, our economic growth forecast has been downgraded from 2% to 1.5%. So, 1 so it's been slashed by 0.5%, which I think is shocking, would be shocking under a Labour government, is even more shocking under a Conservative government, which is meant to be the party for business, the party for a strong and stable economy, and yet our, our growth forecast has been downgraded to 1.5%, uh, which I think is shocking. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, which I think could be, which is an interesting offer to young people, it's this idea of a millennial rail card. 
for those of you who don't know what this is, it is essentially an extension of the 16 to 25 rail card, which is a third off off-peak fares in the United Kingdom, but it's now extending that to the age of 30. This is now another, this is a, a, another attempt to appeal to the younger voter. And then on health and social care, which a lot of young people are very passionate about, there's 2.8 billion in extra funding for the NHS, three, 350 million uh, to, uh, to, uh, to address the immediate pressures of this winter, 1.6 billion for 2018-19 and the remainder in 2019-20. Uh, this falls quite substantially short of the 4 billion asked um, by the NHS chief executive, so 1.2 billion short there of what they thought they needed for this winter. So those were my sort of young people highlights of the budget. Mm. Uh, for this year, I think I think that well, I'm not really sure of of those things that I've highlighted. What do you think are the most appealing for young people that might? That what's making them? What what will make? What about this budget's going to make you think? Going to make a young person think? Do you know what? I'm going to become a Tory. Well, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I suppose. Um, I suppose the housing is probably the biggest thing. I think because perhaps young people realizing that they're going to have to buy houses one day and they want to become homeowners. And, will they be able to? And yeah, will they be able to? And, and I think the most, I mean, I think the way that that's most pre prevalent is that young people are living at home for longer. So that's clearly something they're aware of because it's affecting their lives in a very real way. Um, however, I think that for me, the reason I, I talk about the debt so much is because the, the constant borrowing is, is just a promise to pay tax later at a higher rate, basically. So I would hope that young people are aware of the debt. I mean, that's why I'm aware of it, because I know that it's going to have to be paid off at some point. So the more you keep mounting up the debt, it's I mean, it's just like having a really big hangover, I suppose, is the way I see it. So it might all be very well that you get to keep your rail card for a little bit longer. But it might mean that, you know, you end up having to work until you're 85 because, because the government would need more tax revenue. Right, but in the context of this budget, where, where exactly you, you've highlighted some points where you think the government should go further, mm. uh, cut the foreign aid budget completely, scrap the green energy fund, uh, get rid of the triple lock, increase the retirement age, um, and then make various cuts, some unspecific cuts to the health service and mm. welfare. Mm. You, you don't exactly know where. Do you really think that policies like that are going to lead the Conservative Party into government? Are these policies that you think should be being proposed by the government as of today? And do you think the budget should have been much more um, penal on government public services? Well, I'm obviously one of a, a more aggressive kind when it comes to the budget. I'd be I'd describe myself more as a budget hawk. But my basic position is that we can't keep borrowing at the rate that we're borrowing. And the government at least recognises that nominally in that it wants to reduce borrowing and it wants to bring down the debt but the way that it's doing it i think is quite irresponsible now you mentioned for example productivity being about 1.5 percent so that's less than what the government thought it was going to be but it still sort of has this uh belief that the debt is going to be reduced by 2023 and it has very specific numbers and i don't know why the government thinks it has a crystal ball but i think the only way to really ensure that you start reducing the debt is to start reducing the amount that you borrow. And, I mean, we raised £750 billion. Couldn't we just spend £750 billion? I suppose that's where I, I really start. And 
look, I appreciate that when you have a budget like this, lots of reports come out, it all gets very detailed. But I mean, you know, in that BBC summary of, you know, the, the, the budget, the pensions get one bullet point. That's where we spend most of our money. It just seems to me logically like we should be talking about the way we spend most of our money. Do you see what I mean? And I completely, I don't disagree with that at all, but my point is, is are the quite hardcore cuts that you are talking about going to lead the Conservative Party uh, into victory in 2022? And I would say they absolutely will not. If you want, if, if, if you want a ticket to a socialist future with Jeremy Corbyn, I think your proposals are absolutely what the Conservative Party should be doing. But... I don't think that's what you want, and it's certainly not what I want, and I don't think it's what the country needs. Equally, I don't think the country needs a budget like the one that you just proposed. Mm. Well, so what kind of changes would you like to see, Albie? The changes that I... Al Politico, my apologies. The changes that I would like to see made to the budget to ensure that the Conservative Party is a party which has a future in this country are some some real... Um, real appeals to younger voters because my very my a very big concern of mine from talking to almost every young person I know about politics and you'll know this as well is that there are very 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 few who will say even that they're moderately a conservative and it's a huge issue. I went to a a, a launch of a project last week which this amazing man called Ian Anderson is launching and it's called the New Blue Book. The next edition is coming out in January. And I'm hoping to contribute in it. And basically, this new blue book is a policy book of how we are going to revive the centre-right for young people. And I don't think young people, or I don't... First first of all, let's, let's be very clear. The policies that I think you're proposing are not centre-right, which is why I almost... I can see the logic behind them, but the execution I completely disagree with uh, because I think we absolutely need to think about more when we're thinking about policy and thinking about how much the government is spending. We need to think about more than just balancing the books. For example, the public sector pay cap, whilst it has reduced the public public spending, what it also has done, as it what it also has done, has it meant that these public servants have less money to spend in their local economies. So these cuts, it might make our bank balances look better, but when we're looking at money coming back into the economy, consumer spending, cuts like that, cutting entire departments in the way that you are proposing you're also putting thousands of people out of work. And that's not even considering the potentially millions of people in the Department for International Development, for example, who were helping around the world by scrapping that department entirely. So I think I think there's a bit of dissonance between us in that by you saying, right, the most important thing, the aim of the government, the aim of any government should be to balance the books. I don't think that's right. What What I believe is that the aim of the government should be to do what is best for the people of this country. And I don't think balancing the books above everything else is the most important thing. Otherwise, you could just say, well, we'll just scrap everything. We'll scrap everything that we borrowed this 50 billion for. And it doesn't really matter about the, the, the consequence of that. Is, that. is that what you think? No, well, well I think the, the reason I'm saying that we need to balance our books is because we're spending a, a ludicrous amount on debt repayment in terms of interest, which isn't even repaying the debt. And we're going to have to repay the debt at some point. So I think the country has to realise we need to live within its means. Now, if you want to borrow more and spend more, that's fine. But that's going to be more debt. And ultimately, you and I and our generation are the people who are going to have to pay that back. Or 
we could default, which would obviously not be a particularly good thing at all. And we would see massive limited you know, investment and never mind people in the public sector having money to spend in the economy. You know, lots of people will leave the country. You know, it is important to keep a, a handle on this debt. Now, I'm not naive enough to not realise, of course, that, you know, in Europe and in America and other countries, lots, lots of, you know, lots of countries are in debt, you know, perhaps in a, at a higher level to GDP than we are, for example. But that doesn't mean that the debt just goes away. And I think we do have to think quite seriously about what role, you know, what do we really want government to provide us? Because currently it provides us more than we can afford. So either you find ways to raise more money or you spend less. Now, if you want to spend more, that's fine, but it doesn't take away from the debt. Now, you know, you're saying to me that you want to see policies that bring centre-right people as well, bring people over to the centre-right. So, you know, what, what kind of policies are you talking about specifically? You know, what, like, is this, are, this, is, are these more investment for startups, for example? Or? I'm talking about a whole range of policies that I would like to see. I think we, we speak about the amount of tax, the amount, the amount of tax, the amount of revenue, sorry, that we raise in tax. Mm. And what I would say is, is rather than cutting and cutting and cutting until we get, until we get to a 750, 750 spending um, tax revenue scenario, in order to get in order to get to that or to a figure where we are balancing the books, it might be appropriate, and I do think it is absolutely appropriate, to spend in order to make other parts of the country more more profitable. So we can raise more tax, for example, in our great in our great regional centres, for example, Bristol, Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle, spending on things like infrastructure, making sure that we have the best broadband in Europe, making sure that our cities are well connected with infrastructure projects. No, I'm not talking about spending money on things which aren't going to help the economy, but the idea that we should just stop all spending so that we can balance the books, I fundamentally disagree with. I believe that some spending is necessary in order to stimulate the economy and in order to stimulate the economy in regions that have been chronically underinvested in for the past 40 years. You know, we talk, there's this huge divide between what happens in London, the South East, and what happens in the rest of the country. It's one of the reasons that Brexit happened, for example. Uh, it's one of the reasons that, 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 that London is this vibrant and amazing city is because it has been invested in. Why can't we replicate the success of London in other parts of the UK? And in my opinion, that will require spending, not cutting. If we cut more, it's not London which is going to feel the repercussions of those cuts. It's the other parts of the country who, which have been neglected for the past 40 years. So I think some spending is necessary. Well, look, I think that if, if, you, want to, if you want to spend money to generate greater tax revenue, you're obviously gambling a little bit because you want to spend less than what you receive. So if you say, oh, I want to invest in Bristol, for example, or Birmingham or Manchester, and I expect that spending in this way will mean we receive you know, greater tax revenue, then you know, that's a fair enough policy to have. But if it doesn't come off, then you can be even further in the hole, which will obviously be another, you know, that would be a bad situation. I suppose my position is, I, I, the reason I wanted to, to talk about this in this way is I know that it perhaps would, you know, if the government did this, it would be, you know, it would be huge news. I mean, this would be a far more eventful day than it has been. Um, but the point is that I think people should understand that we are spending, we are borrowing a significant amount of money. And if we were to, you know, stop borrowing that money tomorrow, we'd have to see a reduction in the amount of spending we have just below 10%. 
And the natural places where we might get that from, so it has the least effect on people, would still require potentially closing whole, down whole government departments and seeing reductions in you know, pensions and healthcare and social care, because that's where we spend most of our money. So I suppose I just wanted to put that across. And if you're saying to me that you want to spend more, that's fine. And I, and I would consider that to be a more centre-right position. But if we're going to you know, talk about perhaps a more conservative position, a more conservative position is to spend the money that you have. And that's all I'm suggesting. But and also, I'd also just one, one more thing I'd like to say is I don't accept that the government creates the, um, the economy. Instead of the people create the economy by buying and selling from each other. The government often gets in the way. So reducing government would not necessarily mean that, in fact, well, I, I would contend reducing government would increase productivity and increase the, uh, you know, the size of the economy because government does get in the way. But no, go on. What were you going to say? What I was going to say is that is, is what I was going to say is that we really have to be very careful when we're talking about the way that you've spoken about cuts has been in a very uh, precise and emotionless way without, and you haven't really given any real consideration to the people who are going to suffer as a result of these really quite hardcore cuts that you would like to see happening. Is that something, I just wonder, is that something you were considered when you were thinking about your proposals? Well, what I considered was the amount of money that we spend. And what I considered is how could you stop spending that much money in a way that would affect people the least? And the reality is you can't reduce that spending in any significant way without seeing some impact on people's lives. However, do I think that everyone who was in the uh, foreign aid department wouldn't be able to find a job? No, I don't think that. I don't think people We're not are just talking about people in the foreign and aid do department. I, do I think, do We're I think talking about the... people on pensions, people in the, in, the, in the National Health Service, and people on welfare. welfare. Some of the most vulnerable people in society. I'm not talking... I'm not, as much as I do think it will be sad if we lose the Department for International uh, Aid, whatever, those people find other jobs. Really what I'm talking about are your cuts that you want to make to pensions, medicine and welfare. Okay, well... As You've I, not actually even thought about the cuts that you make about to the health service. Well, that's only because it's so hard to get any detailed um, analysis of the way the health service spends money. And I spent time trying to research it. But, you know, you can take the health service out of it if you want to. I think it's well, perfectly we can stick to pensions and welfare, though. It's perfectly politically acceptable to ring-fence the NHS. But the reality of our... You know, the pension is £160 billion. Pounds. Yeah, that's a significant so amount to... of money. It's the most amount of money that we spend. How do you reduce? And, and that's only going to increase because we have an aging population. So it's going to it's going to go up almost exponentially in the next 10, 20 years. I'm saying, do we want to tackle this? I mean, when it becomes, you know, we don't we don't do anything to it when it's 160. Do we do something to it when it's 200? What about when it's 300? Surely there has to be. I, I'm saying that we always seem to be looking at these issues. Like you say, very much from the perspective of, you know, there's people on the ground who are being affected. But the government has got itself involved in so many things that it can't do anything without making someone's life worse. And, it, and it's just, we have to just look at the reality of how much money we're spending and where we spend the most money. So I have, yes, you, you're right to say that I have looked at it perhaps from this sort of more precise mathematical standpoint. But it's not a point that was made in any of the reporting on the budget. And it's, it's a point I think it has to be made. We are living beyond our means. And, you know, it might be cruel today. But as I say, in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, it could be much worse. So I personally believe it is, you know, it's a case of being cruel to be kind. Or, you know, perhaps having people take the medicine before things become too late. As I say, if 
if debt continues to be the same percentage of GDP and interest rates go up anymore, we won't be talking about spending 50 billion on interest. We're spending 100 billion on interest, which would be more than, you know, everything we spend on welfare, you know, or, or close to what we spend on the NHS. I mean, these things do matter, and they do affect people in a very serious way. I don't disagree with the need to to de to decrease the amount of money that the government spends, so that we can reduce um, so that we can reduce the national debt. I think what we fundamentally disagree on is the speed at which we need to do that. Mm. I don't think that in one budget we need to go from being a a, a relatively centre right government to all of a sudden being a government which d completely disregards uh, human sentience, uh, sentience rather, and just focuses on the numbers. That is, those are not policies which are going to keep the Conservative Party in government and keep the most left-wing Labour government out of government. Those policies are going to put the most left-wing Labour government into government by the next election. I, I just can't believe that somebody who wants the, the Tory party to be a success would seriously propose proposals like that. Well, at the end of the day, I want Conservative policies. And if I don't feel that the Tory party represent conservative policies, then I don't feel the need to support them. Now, the danger of Corbyn getting to power is real, but that danger is real no matter what the conservative government do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very much a situation with the conservatives that everyone thinks they're trying to privatise the NHS. Everyone thinks that they're trying to cut all the time when, in fact, we're spending you know, more today than we ever have. So the question really becomes... Okay, so they've they've just you know done quite poorly in an election. They might do even worse again, and you know Jeremy Corbyn might become prime minister. Why can't they just you know make decisions based on conservative principles? It seems to me that they don't have very many principles, and I think that's also something that people recognise in the Conservatives, and is a reason that they are unpopular. Now, Margaret Thatcher, you know, in many respects was a very harsh leader. And she was, you know, and she's very negatively received, but she was incredibly popular and she held a conservative majority for a much longer period, for a very long period of time. So the question is, do you really believe that government is the problem in terms of the economy and the way that we, you know, we do things and that the nature of the government has to be a certain way? Or do you just sort of feel like you can continue expending it here and there and then it just becomes this case of sort of constant plate spinning? And you get in a situation where you're in an incredibly large amount of debt. Now, I appreciate that it's radical what I'm saying, but it is, it is the reality of the way we're spending money. I don't believe it is the reality of the way we're spending money. I think what we need to get to is a sustainable debt ratio, not necessarily a zero debt ratio. There, will ha you, you, there are some situations, like I've already discussed, in which you have to spend in order to get more in the future. And you do bank on that, and sometimes you are wrong. But sometimes you're right. And I think the idea that we should we should just stop or you know reduce public spending right back into within our means within one budget, in my opinion, it's it's just a bit silly. I, I just think as someone who wants the Conservatives to succeed, it's just a ludicrous a ludicrous thing to be proposing. What I'm suggesting is not something that would mean we have we get a balanced book overnight. It just means that we're no longer <coughs> borrowing. We still would be in a significant amount of debt. <coughs> it could still take decades to get to... I'm not suggesting that we go to 0% debt to GDP. But if we want to get to 40% debt, what I'm suggesting isn't going to get us there 
very quickly at all. Just a quick question. Are there, mer- are there very many countries in the OECD, for example, that are at a 40% debt ratio? Excuse me, my throat's doing a bit of a Theresa May. <coughs> I don't have any cough me. tablets, I'm afraid. Did you well, see you wouldn't that? give me one for free anyway. Did you see that, John? <clears throat> During that, I mean, it's just like, I mean, when he, when he, when the when Philip Hammond was doing the the talk and the budget, and he was making his his you know few little jokes, and then Jeremy Corbyn gets off, and it's just like the rate, like you know, I don't know, like a bat out of hell, just so furious, just very different tones across the aisle. It was a very different tone across the aisle, but I but I think what Jeremy Corbyn represents in Parliament is a very real threat to the Conservative Party, and I don't think this budget does enough to quell that threat at all. I don't think it even Ice is the cake. Well, look, I don't know. I, you know, I think that budget is pretty moderate. I don't know really how you. I mean, I think when you've actually got that job, I'm not quite sure how you do it in a in any particularly in a way that really makes any much significant change. I just, it's hard. It's hard for me to see what they could have done, um, really, without massively risking in terms of the amount they're spending or. You know, by re- you know reducing tax so much that they're not getting as much receipt as they like. I mean, I think I think maybe one thing they might have tried potentially is there's this idea of um, sort of voodoo ec- economics that sort of came out of the Reagan era, whereby if you reduce uh, taxes, sometimes you actually increase receipts because there's sort of like a, a sweet spot of it. So if you're taxing someone at about eighty percent, sometimes you can tax a lot of times if you tax them at twenty percent, you actually make more money because mm-hmm. more people go into that band. But, but, you know, shorts of that, I, I'm not really sure how much they could have done, you know. I mean, obviously, I'm putting across um, a hawkish budget based on, you know, reducing the debt quickly. But, you know, if they're not going to do that and they're not going to spend that much, what really can you do in a budget? I think I think there's a lot more that can be done in a budget to make as particular budget, a conservative budget, more appealing to younger voters, which is really at the crux of what I'm trying to get across. I think a millennial rail card, which is an extension of the current young person's rail card, which is, I mean, it's fine, it's nice, but for people that are travelling in the peaks, it's not really useful at all, which is one of the huge, which is one of the huge costs for people under the age of 30. Abolishing stamp duty immediately for first-time buyers. It sounds lovely, but really you still have to have mon- enough money to buy a deposit, to, to, to put down a deposit. Getting rid of the tax-free personal allowance. I'm not getting rid of it, sorry. Raising it to 11,850. Uh, 11, okay, that's good for people on in low-income jobs. Scrapping air passenger duty. Now, all of these things that I've spoken about, yes, I think they are, they're nice, but I don't think it is enough for young people to all of a sudden think, do you know what, I don't want to be a socialist anymore, I'm going to be a capitalist and vote conservative. So, and that's my big concern, is that going forwards, in the next 10 or 20 years, your budget, which you want so badly, isn't even going to be able, isn't going to be, able to be close to be a reality, because most of the electorate aren't going to be voting conservative. Well, I think the electorate is a is a strange thing to try and predict. I don't think necessarily that becoming more Labour-like in their budgets or policies is going to win the Tories many votes, uh, necessarily. It didn't seem to work in the last general election. Um, and if you're suggesting that, you know, what the 
party needs to do is perhaps announce an infrastructure project, for example. Arguably, actually, on your point about the last general election, arguably, I'd say David Cameron won in 2010 because the Conservatives became less conservative and, and took a more socially liberal approach. Well, but that was not a majority, anything like what Margaret Thatcher often enjoyed, for example. It doesn't matter, but the point is, is that the last major landslide, which was in 1997, was won from the centre. And I think the next one will be the two. I don't think it will be run, won rather, from a, a radical right budget or government proposal. Well, we'll never know with this Tory party because they're not really conservative. That's really my position. Um, but if you're saying that they should uh, commit, I don't know, a couple, you know, couple, like a couple tens of billions into infrastructure projects or renationalise the rail service, rail service, you're effectively talking about what Jeremy Corbyn and Donald would want to do if they were in power. So if you want to just mirror what they would do, then you know what is the point of difference of the Tory party? Well, no, actually, I think you'll find that the infrastructure projects that I'm talking about, for example, the Northern Powerhouse, were were really pioneered by the former Tory government, namely George Osborne. So I think the idea that you know I'm, these ideas are just mirroring Labour Party policies, well, you could argue that those policies are mirroring Conservative Party policies. The point is, is that I believe that more money needs to be spent in, in order for this country to generate more money for tax receipts in the future so that, we can, so that we're all better off. I don't think necessarily just cutting to the bone is, is, is look, the I way I, look, I, do, I really do not think it is fair to characterise what I'm saying is cutting to the bone. It I'm absolutely talking about a less, than, a less than the bone. 10% reduction in spending cutting, in the areas where we spend the most money. Reducing you could, an you entire could, department you could to nothing. You could getting rid of the green energy fund. Increasing the retirement age, getting rid of the triple lock, you know, those are things that can be debated. But the point is, is that is that these these really quite hardcore radical cuts as you have as you have described them as already, I don't think are tickets into Parliament in twenty twenty two. But what is the point is the point to be elected or is the point to get a handle of the finances? What is the budget for? It's it's not supposed to be some uh, you know, vehicle to get a party elected. It's mo it's meant to be the government are getting a handle on the finances. But it's and I'm also saying that got they're not be, doing it's all, it. But it's also got to be a vehicle to give the government more support. And I don't think that budget that you propose is going to make anyone support the government. In fact, it will make people support them less. And on that note, we will see you next week. It's been a, a lively debate. Um, I think we've gone, you know, gone across some important issues. We absolutely have. And some fun stuff. Um, and we will see you next week.